0: don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church that's under attack there is a reproach that comes of being a follower of christ we in america have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture a church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with christ The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The whole business. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in. Political correctness, one of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very important subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. By hitting that subscribe button or that follow button will sure help us out and it'll keep you updated on when we upload our new content. We have a lot of social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and even read. You can check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar the at symbol, Our Mighty Fortress. You can also take a visit our website at OurMightyFortress.com. If you feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through the website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, please be sure to contact us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about a subject that's not going to be comfortable. In fact, I'm going to point out something about you, and even me, that we need to be aware of. I'm going to talk about that monster that's within us, and that is the sinful human nature. We're going to look at some biblical examples of what happens When the sinful human nature goes out of control. It's very, very relevant to us today. This story that we're going to look at is not one that's often taught in any children's Sunday school. That's a fact. You're not going to even hear much preaching on this passage due to the brutality that's found within. But I will say this. God saw fit to tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to his creation and what takes place with the nature of man. We're going to look at the utter depravity of man as it plays out and it shows us just how far not only man but the nation of Israel descended into wickedness. We can be pretty quick to pass judgment upon the characters within this story but you have to know that we all have that monster contained within us. You can kick against it, you can fight against it, but if you're truly honest with yourself, you know it's true. That's what I want to address today, and through this, I want to put forth a warning of what your flesh is willing to do if you don't get it in check. With that introduction, let's get right into this. I want to start with the fact that the monster is always within us. From the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, man has been cursed with the sinful nature that's contained within him. God did not create us this way, obviously, but through the deception of Satan with Eve, and then Adam's willing choice, mankind would be cast into a pit of sorrows, Lewis Schaeffer makes this comment about the fall of man that I find very interesting. He said, God had warned the two parents that the day that they ate of the forbidden fruit, dying should they die. The penalty thus proposed was executed, and death in its three forms was imposed upon them. First, they had the spiritual death, which is separation of soul and spirit from God, fell upon them the moment they sinned. The second one, Physical death began once its unavoidable process of disintegration and eventual separation of soul and spirit from the body. And third, they became the subject of the second death, which is the lake of fire. He continues on. A deceived heart led her aside. A mind betrayed by Satan betrayed her in turn. And as lust leads to sin, so sin naturally tends to propagate itself. Hence no sooner had Eve herself sinned than she sought to draw her husband into the same snare. Adam, however, was not deceived as she had been. He followed her example, but it was with his eyes open. Whether it was mere thoughtless indifference, or too yielding affection for his wife, or a sort of chivalrous feeling that he could share with her in risks that she had incurred that moved him, we cannot tell. But it is certain that the day that he did, he was fully aware of the evil of it and the consequence of it. End quote. Mankind was once in the image of God, the direct image of God, but now he's after the image of Adam. Now, some get confused as to to what the image of God means, but think of it like this. As a mirror reflecting God originally, but then you have a rock that's called sin that was thrown at the glass of the mirror. This is by far the best way of describing the image of God and its meaning. I mean, think about it. You still have the frame of the mirror. You even still have remnants of the glass. But the glass is shattered, and the entire thing has a distorted image. That distorted image is Adam. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 tell us this. People often miss, miss this point. It says, quote, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him, male and female, created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Then sin came in. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now that's very, very fascinating. The word there is very important. After his image. didn't say God's image. It said man's image. Why? Because the human sinful nature of man is now throughout humanity. No other human beings had to become sinners. Every one of us who came from Adam and Eve were born with the sinful nature, and it wouldn't take long for mankind to progress downwards. In Genesis 4, you have the story of Cain and Abel that would take place, and the very first murder would happen. We don't know exactly how Cain killed his brother, but the root is all the same as it is today, bitterness jealousy and a corrupt heart the later part of the chapter his one of his brothers Lamech would go above and beyond Cain and murder two people we eventually get to Genesis 6 5 and it says quote and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually end quote we can read about the sins of man in the scriptures, but you can also look all the way through history and you can find that really mankind of yesterday is really not that much different from today. We see the same progression of society and civilization and history and what man is capable of doing to one another. This is part of what makes the blasphemous theology of sinful, sinless perfection absolutely absurd. I mean, there are those who believe that mankind can just stop sinning and everything's just going to be all right, even though that's never taken place in the history of man. Unbelievable. These individuals even say that they've even achieved not being able to sin, which is insane to say. Now, don't get me wrong. When you become a believer, the types of sin should change. For instance, I no longer go out to the bars and nightclubs like I used to when I was a lost person. But guess what? There's still plenty of work to do. And me not sitting. With getting rid of the pride that's in me. And and those type of things. Or, or exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. Found in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 through, 20, through 25. We can even analyze the 10 commandments. And you can't even possibly get past. Commandment number 1. Even as a Christian. <laughs> uh, which is to have no other gods in our lives. Because guess what? We fancy ourselves as little g-gods. When we sin, that's exactly what we do. Instead of what God wants us to do, we think that what we want to do is much better, thus making us little g-gods. This is exactly what Satan promised Eve when he said that they would become gods, knowing good and evil. You know, there was truth in what he said, but he didn't tell them the whole truth. Adam and Eve did become like God, knowing good and evil, and now they knew what it was like to sin, the ability to choose other than God. It's pride and arrogance that leads us into worshipping ourselves, and it's idolatry. This is why it's impossible to get past commandment number one, and this is exactly why we need the grace of God. It also gives us a glimpse into how much grace God actually has upon us and we're going to talk more about that later but let me show you an example from the scripture about the darkness of mankind we're going to look at the book of Judges chapter 19 and we'll look at verse 1 it says and it came to pass in those days that there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took with him a concubine which is a prostitute, out of Bethlehem Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him under her father's house to Bethlehem Judah, who was for whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple asses. She brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink, and then lodged there. We're going to move forward to verse 11. After a while, getting caught up at the father-in-law's house, these, this couple and, and the servant actually go out from the house into a uh, nearby city. It says in verse 11, And when... They were by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of the stranger that is not of the children of Israel, we will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, Come, let us draw near the one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. Then they turned aside thither to go in and lodge with Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down to a street of the city, for there was no man that took them into the house to lodge. So this, these guys are looking for some place to stay, but nobody would even take him in. That's what he's talking about. Verse 16, And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at Even, which was also Mount Ephraim, and he sojourned in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites, and when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem Judah toward the side of the Mount Ephraim, from thence am I. And I went to Bethlehem Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord. And there was no man that receiveth me in this house. Yet there was both straw and provender in our asses, and there's bread and wine also for me and for thy handmaid, and for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. Now that's very interesting that he says that. Don't stay out in the streets. We're going to see why. So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto his asses, and they washed their feet and, and Did eat and drink. Now they are making their hearts merry. Behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake unto the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth that man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Now, when the Bible says know, to know something means to have sexual relations. So these were homosexuals. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not do so wickedly, seeing that this man is come into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them will I bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. And the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his heart concubine and brought her forth unto him. And they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman to the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till there was light. And when her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, and behold, the woman... His concubine was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, let us be going. <laughs> this guy. But none answered. The man took her up on the ass, and the man rose up and got him to his place. And when he had come into the house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones into twelve pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel." And so it was so that all this, all that saw it said, There was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up in the land of e- Egypt until this day. Consider of it and take advice and speak your minds. End quote. After listening to that story, and you can read it for yourself in Judges 19, you have to think. What would possess a man to do those things? On both accounts, the old man and also the Levite. You have to know that the monster, the sinful human nature that's within man is always hungry. How did the Levite man get to the point that he was going to make a decision to put his then wife out to the mob? From the very beginning of the story... We see him starting off on the wrong foot and you have these two that are basically shacking up without being married. The story will progress on and it seems that they then get married. From there the, the story descends into chaos. Sin is always progressive and spirals downward out of our control. The examples can easily be seen through history. You can read this story and think to yourself, Wow, that just seems so extreme. But you can see it throughout history. One theologian said, quote, Sin in all its forms is so disguised and toned down and softened that the natural mind of a man does not shrink from it without abhorrence or perceive its deadly nature or its fatal consequences. End quote. Another theologian said, human nature has a wide range of capacities. Man can rise infinitely above the brute, and he can fall infinitely below the brute. He can rise to the angelic, he can fall to the devilish. His originality of imagination, power of incentiveness, and freedom of the will open to him avenues of evil, as well as pathways of good, which are closed closed to the more dull life of the animal world, end quote. What is he saying? That man has an utter wicked imagination to do evil. History tells this story. In fact, anybody who's been in the military and has been to foreign countries, especially the continent of Africa, and you can see it in asia at times throughout history but it's still going on in africa today you'll actually have child soldiering and you'll have brutalities that are taking place amongst people and even children are committing atrocities and killing people in the most horrific ways that just the you can't just sit and imagine these type of things. I mean, you have to think about how wicked a person has to become to murder somebody in the, in the most vile ways. And I don't have to describe it here on the podcast because you can look back through history and see what man has done to one another. That's just an example. The philosophy of the modern world is that, well, poverty breeds crime. This thought pervades our Western culture and media everywhere we look. It's said that more money just needs to be put into education and evil and crime is going to stop. Well, we dump all of this money into, say, public schools and colleges, but are we producing better people? It was the Christian evangelist D.L. Moody who once said, If a man is stealing nuts and bolts from a railway track and in order to change him, you're going to send him to college well at the end of his education he'll come back and steal the whole railway track what is he saying we see the difference between the human nature and its capacity to do good or evil as well as the means by which that person's vision enlarges with education you may have an educated person who commits a petty crimes But there are plenty of highly educated people who commit crimes that are greater in magnitude. We have them all throughout our government, in fact. But that's another message. Throughout man's history, his appetite for wealth, power, and sex has been insatiable. It is said that the 20th century has been the bloodiest of all. This has to do with the advanced culture and the more proficient ways to kill one another, of course. If there's one thing that man can always do very well, is to find quicker and more proficient ways to kill one another. We saw the mass warfare of World War One and World War II, where literally millions of men lie bleeding and dying in, vast, in the vast fields of Europe. Given the mass warfare that's taken place on just that small peninsula called europe there was hardly a spot of ground that you could probably stand on that someone's blood has not soaked once you to think about that that peninsula of europe you could stand almost anywhere on that peninsula no matter what country it is and somebody's blood has probably been spilt there through the centuries Then, of course, we see the genocide of Hitler, killing the millions of Jews, Slavics, Gypsies, and infirmed people, others that he considered inferior as well. The rise of communism during this century pushed the death tolls at astronomical numbers. The number of deaths reported are at the minimum of 20 million people, but are probably upwards of 60 million. And this was... Joseph Stalin's own people that he did this to, and that's not even counting war deaths. From 1975 to 1979, Pol Pot in Cambodia killed 1.5 to 2 million of his own people. They died of starvation, execution, disease, and overwork. The Khmer Rouge tried to socially engineer a classless communist society, and it appears they did not succeed. I wonder why. Later on, in 1994, in Rwanda, you saw the Hutu soldiers massacre their Tutsi countrymen. Over 800,000 died in this tragedy. As sad as these stories are, this is not even close to accounting the average violence that takes place in the world every single day. You know, just today, I was at work, and I went into the lunchroom, of the lo- and you had the local news that was on the television. It gave a report of a man who walked into a convenience store. And towards the back of the store, he saw a young, college-aged woman. Then out of nowhere, he pulled out a knife and just stabbed her to death. After he's done, he casually just walks up to the checkout counter, buys his goods, and walks out. The clerk didn't even see what happened until later. He just walked out of the store like nothing happened. How... Does somebody come to that conclusion? I mean, when you look at that situation, you have to think to yourself, what is going through a person's mind to come to that conclusion just to randomly stab a young woman? Most are just going to wave it off and say, well, that man is just mentally ill or crazy. Well, that may or may not be true, but that still doesn't account for all of the daily violence that goes on around us just as brutal, you know, the stories we don't like to focus on too much because we're so comfortable in our own lives. Someone can say, well, you know, I would absolutely never do something like that. But I have to ask, but says who? Drastic and life-changing choices do not happen overnight. That person didn't develop into that kind of a murderer just overnight. It starts with one event that happens in a person's life that leads to another and leads to another, an unfortunate circumstance here or whatever, following after the sinful nature of man. Given the right circumstances to happen, any one of us could be just like that man. We are so proud and arrogant to think that we're somehow different. The truth is, We're not that much different from that guy. Someone can say, well, I'm a saved believer and I would never be like the Levite at least. Well, there may be some truth there, but not totally. There are plenty of stories of men and women in the Bible that were redeemed of God and they committed atrocities. Look at the life of King David. How does something like that happen? One step At a time, any one of us can be like that Levite in the story of Judges chapter 19 or that man in the convenience store. If we start our foot in the world and choosing to live in the flesh, we currently live in a culture that absolutely feeds our wicked flesh. The Western Western culture has grown into vanity and self-reflection. The scripture defines what our problem truly is. It says in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, it says, quote, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, And such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which commit such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. End quote. America glamorizes homosexuality, like in the story. And you have crazy stories like a tranny story hour with kids. Women here are taught to basically whore themselves out to any man they choose. Men are taught to be playboys and thugs. We've almost destroyed the nuclear family. Human trafficking in this nation is at an all-time high, mainly coming up through the southern border. Brutality is ramping up in our Western culture as law and order unravels. The future of this nation it looks dim because we're walking further and further away from God. And that means it's closer to destruction. Too many charge God foolishly and think that, well, he judges man too harshly. With just a small view of the vileness of man that we've just talked about, is it really surprising that our nation is on the verge of destruction? So what's the solution? We have to get that monster and mortify him. If we're truly honest with ourselves, our biggest problem is the person that we see in the mirror every day. We've been deceived that we need to have a high self esteem and that life would be so much better if you just viewed yourself in some positive light. But what has such teaching produced? We have a culture that's fully in love with themselves, but really, it just feeds the beast that's already within us. We all love ourselves too much. We feed the flesh through our eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The Apostle Paul states that we have to mortify the flesh or kill the flesh. Mortify means to subdue the body with its needs and desires by self denial or discipline. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live, end quote. Colossians 3, 5 says, quote, Mortify therefore your members which are on, upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, end quote. How does a Christian, or even a pastor, or even a lay person fall into sin? They fall by not mortifying the flesh. We all have that beast within us, and it isn't going anywhere. But we can put it down and choose to walk in the Spirit. We can choose not to be like those poor examples you can see on the television screen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this very thing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. End quote. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God that's given to believers the day that they become born again. This Spirit will produce a fruit in you that will resemble the likeness of God. The catch is, you have to make the choice to do so. You also have to allow this fruit to proceed from you. Galatians chapter five and verse twenty-two. It says. Quote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to guide and at times convict the believer to be in line with what God intends. I have called the sinful human nature the monster within because it truly is, as described. It's the potential to bring us to the uttermost depravity. And it's not done over leaps and bounds. But remember, it's done by small steps that just don't seem very noticeable. But over time, that deviant walk away from where you should be takes you a very long way. Eventually, those steps will lead farther and farther into sin. And it'll take you ever farther than you've wanted to go, keep you longer than you've ever wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you've ever wanted to pay. If we were to look at the root of sin, we would come to the conclusion that we sin way more than we think we do. Imagine, imagine if our thoughts were immediately judged by God. Who would survive? Nobody. Nobody. God has much more grace upon us than we deserve, and we need to have the right view of ourselves. We need to acknowledge how great God is in humility. We must purpose within ourselves and before God that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us throughout the day. Take time to pray and ask for spiritual fortitude that will help you succeed. If you have a good distance to go to work, whether it's through traffic or not, take time to pray. Even before that, it'll make all the difference in the world. And it it can mean literally whether you succeed or fail. Look, the world is very dark. And you're going to see the depravity of man all around us. But don't let us fall into that trap. Let us walk in the spirit. And let that light shine forth into the darkness. Sure, the darkness will enclose around us, but that only means that that light of Christ will shine ever more brighter. This also means as Christians, we have to take the responsibility and the mantle of the prophets of old and call sin for what it is in our society. We have become so gun-shy to say what evil truly is and we've chosen to turn the other cheek and just shy away from controversial topics or say the topic of homosexuality for instance how many churches are accepting these kind of people into the church how many varying opinions do we have now about homosexuals within the church or the flock of God I'm sorry but they're not within the flock of God but who's going to call out that evil? There was so much going on. Where are the Christian voices? Where are the men and women of God who will stand up and say, thus saith the Lord? That's only going to happen if we purpose to mortify that monster that plagues us. And when we do that, and we choose God, God will use us mightily to shine against the darkness of this world think on these things and let us purpose to mortify that monster i want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media please take a look at our website ourmightyfortress.com and subscribe for more updates stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress